0: Good morning, morning. and yes, in case you missed it, I am Pastor Dave's son, I'm his favorite son, (laughs) just like Wells, my favorite South American (laughs) brother-in-law. If you uh, uh, want to open to Philippians in your Bible, uh, you know, I, I sometimes consider myself an offensive driver. Um, mostly because if I'm defensive, I don't think I'll ever get anywhere. Um, you ever get frustrated while you're driving? Um, now, now we, we live down in Woodenville, um, which is just off of 405, east of Seattle. Um, but there is way too much traffic. Uh, thankfully, where I go, when I have to go into my office, um, I'm going against traffic. So I jump on 405 north and I can see the backup on south and I just praise the Lord every day that I'm not having to go that direction. Um, But there are quite often where I'm driving and the speed limit's 45. And there's someone in front of me going 35. You know, and I get that nervous twitch. I'm like, praise Jesus. I'll pray for their salvation, right? Um, Whatever the case, you know, there's all sorts of different ways that we get frustrated while driving. Maybe you're going the speed limit and someone behind you doesn't want to go the speed limit. Um, And they're a little close to you, right? Think about the last time that you got angry or frustrated. What was it about? Was it a sin issue? Were you angry that somebody had sinned? Or was it something inconsequential? Uh... What about this morning? Did you get angry at somebody because they were taking too long in the shower? They ate the last of the bacon. They are not in the car when it's time to go. Where are you at? Uh, uh, come on, I'm going to be late for church, right? What, are you, what, do, what do you get angry and frustrated about? I would be willing to bet that 90 to 95% of the time, the things that we get angry and frustrated about really don't matter, <laughs> right? Next week you go, what was that thing that that we were so frustrated with? I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. Most of the stuff that we get upset about really doesn't matter. For those of you that may be on Facebook, you see people who say, I just need to rant about this. And then they write, you know, four pages of something, and you're like, that you just need to rant about, so you just need to get upset about something, so upset that you've got to tell everybody the 1,786 friends that you have that are going to see this. Okay. I believe that selfishness has been narrowly understood for a long time. I believe we think of selfishness kind of in this little box. And... For a long time, we've kept it right there. And because we've kept it, this is, this is what it means to be selfish. I believe the, the attitude of selfishness has permeated the church. It's permeated families. And it's one of the things that I believe causes the dysfunction between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between employers and employees. Just this idea, this, this selfishness. I, I believe selfishness has been doing more damage to the church... ...than the homosexual agenda or abortion rights activists... ...or a lot of these other things we want to put out there. Selfishness is one of those things because it's so easy to let it slide. It's so easy to let it go. I want to look at our passage here. Uh, Chapter 1, we're going to be jumping around through a lot of different parts of Philippians here. Um, To start with chapter 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ... So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And skipping down to to chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete." By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. First question I want to ask you is, who are you? Are you a Christian or not? Okay, With everybody in here, there's bound to be some of you who would say, you know, I'm just checking things out. I really don't know where I'm at spiritually. And there's a lot of you, I'm sure, that would say, I'm a Christian. I believe that... Uh, Jesus paid for my sins, and without that payment, I'm going to hell. And so, I'm going to believe that Jesus paid for my sins, and he resurrected. Came back to life, and right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. I'm sure many of you would say that. And if that's the case, if you would call yourself a Christian, Paul is talking to you here when he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourselves worthy. You need to be... In a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, I'm a football fan, all right. Uh, Seahawks, of course. So I'm, I'm loving the blue and green microphone cables here. Go Seahawks, right? Um, I'm sure. I'm sure that's what the thought was at the time. Um, the, after the, after last week's uh, frustrating, weird loss, uh, the opposing quarterback went was it, saw a Seahawks flag in the stadium and he took it down and threw it on the ground and like stomped on it, right? And a lot of people were like, that was so classless, that's so, you know, so upset. You're like, you know, okay, yeah, it was unsportsmanlike. And many people would say he was not conducting himself in a manner worthy of the NFL shield. They always talk about acting appropriately. There's some players that are very dirty, and they do things, like they step on guys when they're on the ground, um, you know, with their nice cleats, you know. (laughs) Um, Step on their ankles and do different things like that. When I played football in high school, I had some of my um, other players told me that when they were on the bottom of a pile, they could feel guys grabbing their ankles and trying to twist their ankles. And you go, wow, that's, I'm glad I'm not you. Um, (laughs) Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Thinking about what Christ has done for you. What did Jesus do for you? He gave up his life. We're going to get more into that in a little bit here. But part of the way that we conduct ourselves in a manner of the, uh, worthy of the gospel is right here in, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And, and I love how Paul sets this up. He says, basically he's like, if there's anything that you can do, anything at all, if there's any encouragement of Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, any compassion, he's like, if there's anything at all, any of these, just any of this big list here, Make my joy complete. It's almost like he's saying, you've done this, you've done that, you've done this, you've done that. Great, you have gone right down the list. Now let's complete it. Let's complete the cycle. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I could go on quite a bit just on that passage and we could talk about our purpose and and all sorts of different things. But, but I bring this up to show the, the contrast here that Paul is making. We have a way in which we are to be acting. Being of one love, one mind, one purpose. Right? United in spirit. Working together for the common goal. It's like in your marriage. I, I talked about with the kids last night that in your relationships, whether it's marriage, your friends, your employer, all sorts of different things. It will always go better if you have a common foundation of Christ. Always. If you are both seeking and pursuing God's will, most of which is stated pretty clearly in the Bible, of how we ought to act and what we ought to do, your your relationship's going to go so much better. This one mind, this one purpose, this one united in the Spirit, being the same mind, all these things. This is the way we are supposed to be. Not, verse 3, "...do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God... "...did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming <clears throat> excuse me, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." It says, "...be of one mind, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Don't be selfish." Right, Be this way, not this way. This idea of selfishness, I, w- I want to get into this, this bigger, broader definition. All right? I don't think I have to tell any of you that God doesn't want you to be selfish. That's kind of a duh, right? Like, well, Yeah, okay, don't murder, don't steal, don't be selfish. All right, I got it. I, I, I got that one down pretty good. But how does that play out in your daily life? If we think about the actual definition here, it, the Greek word... Uh, Erithea, okay, has the idea of putting oneself forward or electioneering. Right? It wasn't really used a lot prior to New Testament times, but when it was used prior to then, it was typically used of—and this kind of fits in pretty well, I think, right now—of politicians pursu- or the pursuit of political office by unfair means. <laughs> okay. That's this. That's this word that they use here when he says, "Do nothing out of selfishness." I kind of like the way the NIV puts it, where it says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition." Okay, because there is good ambition, you know, but the way they use this—I mean, relating it to political office and trying to get there by unfair means—and I mean, it's kind of, you know, we go, "Oh yeah, we know that one, right?" And so, when you really stop and think about this, though, this idea of selfishness. And I came to this, uh, I'll say, epiphany, or uh, God, God illumined my mind a little bit, uh, six or seven years ago. I just started thinking about sin, right? You think about the sin, whatever sin it may be, whether it is uh, homosexuality, whether it is gossip, whether it is adultery, or murder, or lying, whatever. You, you go down the list. Pretty much all of them start with selfishness. You just go down the list, all right? None of them would happen if you were thinking about the needs of the other person. If you put yourself aside the way Christ did, and were thinking about the needs of the other person, you would not commit adultery. And by the other person, I don't mean the person you're committing adultery with, I mean your spouse, right? The one you're supposed to be thinking about. When you're stealing, instead of thinking about, oh, I'm hungry, I need some food, thinking about the business of the other person. Oh, well, they're, they're a thief anyway, and they, they deceive, and they do all this other stuff. Well, does that give you the right to steal? You're still hurting the bottom line. You're still hurting that person and their business. Lying. Well, we all think, oh, well, I do, they don't need to know this right now. Really? Is that for you to decide? Because you know the future, don't you? I know, I know the future, but, you know, that's a whole different story, right? Um, No. You don't know how that person's going to respond. That's why we speak the truth in love. And you always speak the truth. Most of our sins would not happen if we were thinking about the needs of the other person. In marriage, right, whenever there's a problem... It's usually, well, she just this, or she just that, or he this, just this, and he he doesn't understand this. Now, m- maybe you're right in that your spouse has been acting selfishly. but does that mean you should be acting selfishly? No. How much do you look out for the needs of your spouse? Right? Think about your children, all right? My, my boys are now five and a half and seven, and uh, we like to play video games. But pretty much every time that we or they start to get there, it's, I wanna be first player. I'm like, does it really matter who's first player? Because both controllers do all the same stuff, right? I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. He's always the first player. Weren't you first player yesterday? No! Did you stop and think about the question before you answered? (laughs) No, of course not. He always gets to be the dark side. Play Star Wars. Uh, Are you sure it's always? (laughs) I'm pretty sure I saw you as the dark side earlier today. Or yesterday, whatever it was. Do you have to teach your children to be selfish? No. (laughs) Usually it's the other way around, right? They hit, they whine, they complain when they don't get their way. Right? Hitting or whining, complaining when you don't get your way, okay? This leads me back to my driving. It's taken a while, um, and I've, I've turned my exterior words of frustration into internal, at least. Um, of, get over, get out, why, why are you doing, ah, you know. Um, I've turned that at least in, internally. I'm still working on that internal part of it. i um, starting to pray for those people now instead. Uh, but I want you to skip down to verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Don't complain. <laughs> I remember I read that. I, I don't remember the first time I read it. I'm pretty sure it was when I, I finally actually read through the Bible, did the read through the Bible in a year, and I read that and I went, huh. One time I was teaching Sunday school, uh, it was a couple years ago, I think, and uh, the kids, I would give them donuts, and the kids wanted a second donut. And I said, all right, you, gotta, you have to uh, take, take a verse and go show your parents what the verse says. I said okay, so I gave them Philippians two fourteen, and their parents went, "Thank you." Um, do all things without complaining. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. When your parents ask you, kids, take out the garbage, go do the dishes. Did you do your homework yet? Are the first words out your mouth? But why I don't know. do all things without complaining or disputing, <laughs> grumbling. Whining. Have you ever thought of complaining as a form of selfishness? This is where I think it's really permeated the church. Complaining about the worship. Complaining about the pastor. Complaining about the building. Complaining about the parking. Complaining about the food. Complaining about you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, these chairs aren't comfortable enough. That clock's five minutes slow. Uh, whatever, you go, I don't know. And, and no, I don't know any inside information. Um, I've just grown up in the church, right? Um, and people, right? <laughs> okay. Why do you complain? Because you don't get your way. <laughs> and not getting your way is selfish, right? And that's just, the, that's just all there is to it. Every time you complain, when your spouse makes dinner, Oh, you made that? I'm guilty of that one quite often. Um, except when I'm asked ahead of time what I want, and I say, I don't care, whatever you want's fine. And then I get that look, and I go, yeah, don't worry about it, whatever you want, and I, I make sure I don't complain about anything. Um, because I, I, I open the door for that one, right? When it's time to get ready for school, or for church, or whatever it is in the morning... What are you complaining about? Well, I have my routine, and I do this thing all the time, and now my routine's all messed up. Okay, and? I think Jesus' routine was messed up a few times. I I recall when he just wanted to take a nap. So they got into a boat. and Went across the sea. And who shows up? Another 5,000 people. They ran around. They went, I'm like, how do you run faster than the boat goes across? I don't know, but they were all there. And he's like, okay, fine. All right. Our routines get messed up all the time. I'm a real estate agent to, for my living at the moment. And if you're not flexible as a real estate agent, if you can't think fast, you're not going to make it. <laughs> okay. But the same thing goes with ministry. I've been a camp counselor at Camp Gilead for three summers for the whole, you know, eight weeks out there, and I've done a lot of different retreats. I've done all sorts of different things. And if you can't be flexible with your time, at least a little bit, most business professionals, if you're in a, if you're in a business where, where you can kind of set your schedule, they say only set two-thirds of your schedule, because <laughs> the other third will get set for you. And, and you have to understand that. But when you complain about not getting your way, it's being selfish. Okay? Maybe the kids are supposed to obey. right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord for, for this is right. The kids are supposed to obey. So when they don't obey and you get upset, well, I would say it's justifiable because they're sinning by not obeying. However, where does your response go from there? Do you start griping and complaining, or are you taking a biblical response? The griping and complaining then leads to selfishness. They need to obey me because I'm their father. As opposed to, they need to obey because God asked them to. Two different tones. Two different attitudes. In one of them, they're wronging me. In the other one, they're wronging God. God's justice is usually a little better than mine. There is a way to state or comment an observable action, and there's whining about a wrongdoing. Right? There's a way to say, okay, you have disobeyed. There's a consequence for that. I told you, if you, don't, if you do that again, you're not going to get video games for the next day. I told you, if you do that again, we're going to destroy your phone, as I know a parent who recently did to their... Teenager. They took a hammer to it on Facebook. Yes, I saw the video. Uh, This is someone that I know. There is a consequence to your actions. I think that's very important for people to learn. People of all ages, because some people don't learn it at a younger age, and they have to learn it as an adult. Um, But there's a way to comment on something and to state something without being complaining and griping and whining. When you come across in that griping and whining way, it's just being selfish. I think as we consider these aspects of selfishness, we ought to see more clearly how selfish attitudes and motivations permeate our lives. When you, when you take away, or, oh, I'm not greedy for money. What about the rest of your life? Okay, yeah, that's one part of it, right? When you start thinking about how this this idea of complaining, and think about, just think about this last week, even the last couple days, how much did you complain about stuff? That is a selfish attitude. Now, what is the outcome of selfishness? I want to um, hold hold Philippians there, but if you want to, you can turn over to James 4, um, verses 1 through 3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures." First, we see here, we fight, we murder, and we're envious because we're selfish. Says, so where did the fights and quarrels come from you? Where does conflict in the church come from? It is our pleasures that wage war against each other. I want the walls to be purple. No, they're going to be pink. Okay, that's the classic one, the color of the church, right? Uh, but where, really, where do they come from? Well, I think we ought to have drums. Well, no, we don't have drums. We need to have the old pipe organ back. Well, no, we, we, whatever. You go down the list. I mean, you could just walk around the church, every room, and I'm sure there's been a fight in one of those rooms. Maybe not an all-out brawl, but some sort of dispute, a verbal dispute. Okay? Now, debate and discussion is healthy and fine. You need to have those discussions at times to solve problems. Where it changes is when you take a personal affront because, oh, this is mine, and then you start getting going, that we have to do it this way, and all of a sudden, you're complaining and griping and, because you're acting selfishly. Because for some reason, your way is the best way. When James says, "Isn't it not those pleasures that wage war within you, he's implying that we aren't getting our way, so we fight. If you think about all the arguments you might have had with your kids or parents or friends or employer or other people in the church, whatever, what are they usually about? Usually it's, I want this my way, and the other person says, no, my way. That's usually how it goes, and eventually somebody gives in. And, but that's, that's the outcome of selfishness, one of the outcomes, Secondly, though, it's a bad testimony to be selfish. If you look back at Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. So right after he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, So that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. This is the positive outcome of humility. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, etc. You will be a great testimony. And you will show that I have not worked in vain to disciple you if you're humble. On the flip side, if you're being selfish, that is a bad testimony. If you are not a blameless light in a crooked generation, then you must be a guilty dim corner encouraging the crooked generation. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty you know, black and white to me. I don't think there's a gray area in this spot. If you're complaining and whining, do all things without complaining and grumbling, right? Selfishness leads people away from Christ. thirdly, in the outcome of selfishness, if you consider the natural path of a selfish attitude, it will eventually lead to arrogance, bitterness, spite, and generally just poor character. The more often you don't get your way and complain about it, the more you're going to be bitter and just, you know, the kind of person nobody wants to be around. I believe they used to say a person of salt and vinegar, right? <laughs> um, there's a, uh, on, on Twitter, there's a guy that I follow because he just cracks a lot of church jokes that I can relate to, and he's called the church curmudgeon. Um, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it there. Um, it's funny, but um, we'll just leave it at that one. If you want to know more, you can go find him. Um, as the attitude of selfishness grows, it becomes Entitlement. Think about the, this current generation and the last two generations of, of people or so. You know, kind of that, I would say, 25 and younger crowd. And a lot of respect in our American culture, we've created this entitlement attitude. I get, I get, I get. I mean, it started with just giving a lot, but now because they expect it, there's entitlement and the more that you kind of have that attitude, well, I deserve, I deserve this. I need a new iPhone. I need a new Xbox. I need a bigger house. I need to be waited on hand and foot when I get home from work because I worked all day long, and I'm just tired, and I need dinner on the table, and I need a foot massage right away. If I don't get that, then my spouse doesn't love me. No, I'm not hinting at anything. You fill in the blank. What I need, I need, I need. Really? You need that? Is that what the Bible says? Instead of recognizing great gifts as just that, or acts of love as what they are, we become indignant and hostile when we don't get what we feel we are entitled to. So instead of recognizing a spouse who continually is acting out of love and giving great gifts most of the time, and then there are times when it was a longer day, was tired, and didn't do that one thing. Well, how come dinner's not ready? What have you been doing? Well, how come the kids aren't dressed yet? Now, my voice sounds like a man's voice come a man, but it can go both ways, okay? Um, I, there, it doesn't matter what the situation is, don't misinterpret, or I should say, recognize the gifts and acts of love from your spouse or your children as what they are, acts of love. When they're not there, you should not become indignant when they're, oh, I should get this. That's being selfish. Maybe it's at work. I need that pay raise. I should have gotten the pay raise. I can't believe I didn't get that. That did happen to me once, actually. Pretty lame, too. I won't go into all the fun details, but Basically, a computer system said I shouldn't get a raise. I should probably get a pay cut. I'm like, what? With everything else that I do? It's like they say we're paid on customer service, but not really. We were paid on referrals to other business. And uh, I, was, I was a little frustrated with that one. Maybe your grades at school? Well, oh, I should have gotten the A. My teacher just. you're. Your teacher just graded your work. That's what they did. Don't complain if you don't do the work. If you don't study, you got no one to blame but yourself. You can't complain about that. Lastly, uh, verses 18 and 19. Excuse me. Chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. The fourth outcome of a selfish attitude is that when you stay in this attitude of selfishness and you stay in this place and you're not walking in a manner worthy of your calling, you end up an enemy of the cross. You truly are that guilty, dim corner encouraging the crooked generation. I tell you I, I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite. If that doesn't describe selfishness. I don't know what does. Their God is their appetite. I want this. I want that. I need this. I need that. That's all they do. You know, it's interesting when you thinking about that aspect of uh, their God is their appetite. We just had the great one point five billion dollar lottery. I believe the statistic is seventy to eighty percent of anyone who wins more than a million dollars goes bankrupt within three years. Just think about that for a minute. Just think about if you got a million dollars right now how you would spend that. Most of you would probably say, "Oh, I'll pay off my mortgage. <laughs> maybe buy a better house cuz I'm tired of the toilet not working." Um, and, and but then after that it's like, well, "I'll probably give some to the church." And uh, uh, you know, and maybe a new car. And, and you start thinking about some of these things, that stuff kind of adds up. But would you go so far as to overextend yourself and have to file bankruptcy in 3 years? Most of the people, 70 to 80% of the people that win more than a million dollars in the lottery, bankrupt in three years. That's $300,000 a year spent. Okay? Their God is their appetite. I'm not saying they're selfish necessarily, but I think that's a great picture of selfishness. When you think about when you really stop to think about how what, how you treat that kind of stuff. Now, that's the outcome of selfishness. What does God want for us? God desires that we be content. Most of us know Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we got Tim Tebow, used to put it on his cheeks there. Played when he played football. Um, I don't think most of us really realize the real context, though. I used to quote it to myself when I was up to bat playing baseball. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, like it's really going to make me hit better. How about practice, right? Um, How about batting gauges? (laughs) That might help me a little more than, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all strike three, you're out. Shoot. That's not exactly what that passage means. Let's look at that. Starting in verse, um, excuse me. We're going to start in verse 10. But realize that Paul is writing the book of Philippians, this letter to the church of Philippi. He's writing it from prison. Okay? And prison then was not like it is now, in case you didn't know. They didn't have cable TV. All right, They didn't necessarily have a flushing toilet. Um, it was a little different. So starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He starts off by saying, I rejoice that you guys have returned to your concern for me. And he's saying, you had a concern for me before, but you had no way to do anything. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you're like, man, I really wish I could help you, but I can't. I, don't, I, I have other obligations, so I don't have the time. Or I, have, I don't have any money, I really want to help you, but I'm in debt myself. I'd love to help you out, but I really can't do this. And that's kind of where they were at. They didn't they didn't have money to be able to help him to bring food or bring clothes or whatever. But what he says is I'm, I'm not saying this because I want it, because I'm I'm trying to get something from you. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. I know how to live on welfare. I know how to live winning the lottery. That's what he's saying. I know how to do this and that. I've learned how to be content. God wants us to be content. I believe that's the opposite of being selfish. Selfish is I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. I have to have this, otherwise, my life's not complete. If I don't get this, what's the point of living? That's selfishness. Contentedness is if this is what God wants for me, alright, we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna work through it. Some of us are wealthy by the world standards. Some of us are poor. Some in the middle. Some of us have been poor because we made bad choices. We invested wrongly. I, some of us have invested wisely. I've, I've known a couple people who did really well with Microsoft stock back in the day. And I know some people who got burned on a bad stock deal right before someone else told them about Microsoft in 1982. <laughs> and so they didn't do it. And they, at that time they had, I want to say $10,000 that they could have put into Microsoft stock. Um, this last week I saw something about oil. It was like super low. I'm like, $27, I told my wife, I said, I got I to even do invest in the oil, because I remember when it was, it's going to go back up. Like four days later, up 10%. I'm like, Psh, too bad I didn't have money to put in there. I don't think I would have done it anyway, just because I'm a real estate agent. I'm investing in real estate. Um, but some of us have been poor because we've made bad choices. Some of us are poor because Satan's attacked us. Look at Job. Job was a righteous man, did not, didn't do anything to deserve what Satan did to him, but yet God allowed it. Now, I don't want to get way onto the, are you lazy or is Satan attacking you? I don't want to get off on that tangent today, but I do want us to realize that no matter what the circumstance that we're in, we need to respond in a godly way. Okay? There are oftentimes still things that we can do to, quote-unquote, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and get moving financially. All right? But outside of finances, all right, just thinking about being content. At our church, somebody wanted to put little lights that shine up on the wall. Okay, great. Somebody else decided they needed to be different colors. I don't know about that one. Um, But you know what? In the big picture, not going to affect my life (laughs) one bit. There is no need for me to go and complain about that or whine about that, even bring it up, because it really is not a big deal to me one way or the other. I may not like the way that it looks, but uh, somebody else really does like the way that it looks. Great. Good for them. There's no need for me to go and whine about that think, whatever, whatever it may be. I've had times where I did get stuck in traffic somewhere. And because I got stuck in the traffic, I was able to have what I would, I would just call it a God encounter. God brought me along to somebody else that I needed to talk to at that time for a particular reason. Had I not been in traffic and gotten there faster, I wouldn't have been able to talk to him because we wouldn't have bumped into each other. Traffic is not always from Satan, as much as we feel like it. OK, maybe it is, but <laughs> if you are poor or middle class, do you want more money? Do you want more stuff? Why? That's one of the things that I've, I, one of the reasons I got into real estate was my goal was to build up capital, to be an investor, so I could be free with my time, so I could do different kinds of ministry. The summer, or I should say two summers ago now, we went and helped out a summer camp in Germany for two weeks, and uh, we went back in February of last year to visit with some missionaries. Um, and we want to go back long-term and do youth ministry. Right now, we're planning to go for a month this summer. Um, thankfully, my job allows me to do that. I can set my own schedule. I can I can do a lot of different stuff. We can be gone for a month. Not a big deal. Um, but there was a point where we didn't know what we were going to do. We were literally on welfare. We were getting the the state assistance. We, I I was my third year trying to do, do real estate. Second year was really good, but I had a bunch of debt from the first year, which was horrible. Um, but I, a lot of it was my own fault. A lot of it was, people, oh, the market this, the market that. The market's got nothing to do with it. I just needed to work harder. I was being lazy. I was being selfish with my time. Oh, I don't want to, I don't. Selfish with the feeling of, or I should say the, the predisposed feeling of rejection. Well, if I call that person, they might say no, and I don't want to talk to them, I don't want to hear that. So I spent more time trying to figure out ways to get business without calling people than actually calling people. <laughs> right? And real, for me, real estate, all I, did, I just need to talk to people. I need to get out there, talk to people, meet with people. Because if people don't know I'm doing real estate, guess what? They're not going to ask me to help them sell or buy a house. <laughs> right? That was it was it was on me as the leader of the of the, the household and, and to do some of that stuff and and I just wasn't doing it, but we were in a position where we were poor and we we moved we thankfully and this is i do, on the one hand I believe it was a blessing from the Lord we were able to move or, um, our landlord was selling the house we were able to move to another house that was close to our church um, in the town that we'd kind of been around where a lot of our friends were and I don't know how long it was, a year and a half later after being in the house, maybe. Um, oh, there's rats in the basement that have gotten into the house. Sweet. And our landlord doesn't want to help take care of anything. Now the house we feel is from Satan. Um <laughs> but it was cheap. I mean, it was it was like literally half of what it would be for anything else in the area. And I feel like God blessed us, and God was providing for us to be able to get into something and and be able to get into a place. And it's, um, but now over the last couple of years, as we've we've had this plan, we're like, God, we feel like you want us to go to Germany. You want us to do something. How do we do? And as I started working harder, I would pray, uh, make a note, especially kids with tests. Don't pray that God will give you the answers. Pray that God will bless your study efforts. I always pray that God would bless my effort when I worked, and the more that I worked, the more that I was doing, uh, I, more business was coming. Twenty fourteen was like my best year ever, or twenty thirteen, and then twenty fourteen was the best one, and then twenty fifteen was even better, and it was amazing. And but we got to the place where I now I don't know how many guys have actually been to my dad's house. They had this nasty old projection TV that I just couldn't stand. I'm like, so it was from my grandparents, like from eight years ago or something. I don't know when they got it. And I just I'm like, I was able to buy them a TV for Christmas. I'm like, I'm going to get you, uh, some of those Costco sales. I'm like, I'm getting that for my dad for Christmas. He needs a new TV. We, had a, we gave away a car that had a new transmission. I put two grand into a new transmission. And we found out someone else at our church, a widow, whose son killed himself, and she's taking care of his two daughters. And they needed a car, because somebody talked her into a $600 a month payment on a car. <laughs> she wasn't making it, obviously. And we're like, you know what? God's blessed us. I mean, the car, the car that we gave was maybe only worth $2,500, but it's $2,500, but God has blessed us in such a way that we can give. That's why I wanted to make money. We wanted to do that. Gloria was at the store the other day. And there was a, the, the EBT says EBT cards are the cards that they get for the, the welfare. They give you a certain amount dollar figure based on your income. We've been there. We've been in that line at the store, and they're trying to run it, and because they don't always do it, they don't know what they're doing sometimes, well, this time the system was right. down. And it was $164 worth of groceries. And she's like, we're going to take care of it for you. Take care of it and, and try, to, try to let them know we're praying for them. And... Our motivation has always been to be a tool, to be a tool for God, and and God has blessed us, began to bless us this last year in a way to be a tool for Him, to use our finances in that way. It's never been to have the, you know, eight thousand square foot mansion with the pool and well, some of the stuff might be nice, but the upkeep, man, I don't want to clean all those rooms, I tell you. Um, but there are things that. That yeah, that are that are nice. That yeah, we can afford now. Great, but we're giving more. That's what we wanted to do. We want to be able to give it away. Like I had a goal to be able to make a million dollars a year so I could give away eight hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> right? That's what I wanted. Now that's not my goal anymore. Um, but my goal is to provide for our own expenses, living expenses through investing. So when we go to Germany, I don't have to go fundraising to seventy-four churches. <laughs> and go talk to a bunch of people. I want to be able to provide that so I can raise money for the ministry. Raise money for kids to go to camp. Because over there, about 1% of the churches, maybe 1.5%, are actually evangelical churches. Every single missionary I've talked to, every single person I've talked to, they say, I want to go over to youth ministry. They're like, praise the Lord! (laughs) Now, I know most churches are that way in general, right? You say you want to come work with teenagers. They say, praise the Lord, right? Um, But over there, it's a real... Real necessity, when you've got to go 20 miles to find another evangelical church. I mean, you know, maybe there's another church you don't 100% agree with here, but at least they're mostly evangelical, right? You can kind of go around and find some. But that's what—that's our goal. That's what we want to do, and and so that's been my motivation—not a selfish motivation. Now, there's there are selfish things I've purchased. I'm not going to deny that. All right, I'm not perfect. But think about your own motivations for whatever it may be, whether it is finances, whether it is, you know, different things at school, whether it's different things in your job, at certain positions. Do you want the position for accolade? Do you want the position so people will look up at you? Or do you want the position so you can actually honor God in another way? Why are you wanting to do these things? Selfishness comes from an attitude. God wants us to be content with what He has for us, whether it be like Job's wealth or Job's poverty. Whether it's come from Satan or whether God has allowed it. Are you content with God's provision? And are you, if you want to get out of it, you can work to get out of it in a way that honors God? And, and maybe there isn't. Maybe there's gonna be a really tough struggle and things. And then you know what God provides? The church. And if you've been acting selfish for the last 15 years, and now all of a sudden you need some help, how do you think the rest of the church is going to feel about that? Now let's flip it around. If you've been a giving person, with your time, with your energy, with, you know, with people, and you've, and you've been a, always, a, people look at you and they go, that's the most humble, unselfish person that I've, I've ever met. And all of a sudden you come into a spot of need, how much more are people going to want to help you? I mean, we've had that happen with us. More so, I think, because of my wife than because of me. But people just giving us money. They're like, you know what? Here you go. We want to help you out. Oh, okay, thanks. Praise the Lord. Um, They just, here you go. We'll help you. Your attitude now and the way you respond to things is going to affect what happens later on. Uh, so God wants us to be content. But secondly, God wants us to be sufficient in Christ. Um, starting in ver- chap- go back to chapter one, and I'm just gonna uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Chapter one and starting verse twelve. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has been become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. And the most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some to be sure are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to, to die is gain. I know a lot of people love that verse 121. To live is Christ, to die is gain. When you read it in that context. Paul says, people are preaching Christ. When I came to jail, it's been for the furtherance of the gospel. And I don't care if they're being mean about it. They're still preaching Christ. Praise the Lord. That's what Paul's saying right here. And he says, you know what? I don't care what happens to my life as long as Christ is preached. Are you sufficient in Christ? Your selfish attitude will show others if you are sufficient in Christ. Paul's in jail and his only concern is not about himself, but that Christ is preached. Everything in your life can be taken away. You can make dumb mistakes and give it away, or Satan can take it all away. Either way, your family, your money, your health, your mind, everything can be taken away... Except for your eternal place. You are either eternally gonna be going to hell if you have not accepted Christ. If you've accepted Christ, you are eternally going to heaven, and guess what? That can never be taken away. Alzheimer's and Parkinson's can take away your mind. Multiple cirrhosis can take away your body you can have all sorts of different issues. Cancer, you can have amputations, you can have all sorts of things that mess with your body, you can have your finances taken away, you can have all sorts of things, but your salvation can never be taken away. Paul knows that, and that's why he says, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because while I'm here, we'll be serving Christ and sharing Christ with others. When he dies... He knows he's going to gain his eternal future. Chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I counted as loss for Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Selfishness. We need to move ourselves from selfishness to contentedness. How do we honor God with our humility? One of my all-time favorite verses is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing your mind. You have to change the way you think. Your time is not your own. Your time is God's. Yes, we should be watchful of our time. We should not be wasting our time. More often than not, when you are late, it's not because of the other person in the house, it's because somebody had the TV on too long. (laughs) More often than not, when you're late, it's because you weren't really watching the time. You weren't really paying attention. And now you're all upset and whining about it. Well, guess whose fault it was? Yours. Now there are times when it's the other person in the house's fault. But you know what? Your time isn't yours. It's God's. How can you use that situation now to honor God instead of complain about what you didn't get? Our culture is steeped in that that born-that-way mentality. Because all science, unless it's creation science, is based on evolution. There's an assumption that anything not normal must be a physical problem. Since it's physical, you must be born predisposed to it, whether it's alcoholism or obesity or homosexuality, bipolar, whatever. You're born with it. You've been either born with it or you're damaged physically somehow. In reality, most of those things are a poor response to your environment. You can change the way that you think. You can change the way that you think about these things. You're not just set. Oh, it's just the way that I am. Sorry. Well, I guess I'm I'm just I'm just gonna be poor all my life. Well, I guess I guess nobody's ever gonna like me. I'm just gonna be alone. I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess. Stop guessing, start knowing. The way we think. About those things will change the way we perceive them. It will change the way we respond to them. I recall my dad talking about someone that he had counseled ten to twenty years ago, who was very depressed and on medications, and they're you know clinically depressed and this uh, whatever. After counseling her a little bit, they realized that they weren't serving in ministry anywhere. As soon as she began serving, she started feeling better. She decided to get rid of her medication. How did this happen? (gasps) It's a miracle. No. She began to fulfill her purpose that God had for her because her time is not her own. (laughs) She spent all her time feeling depressed about herself, about her life. Oh, I'm okay. Instead of helping, serving. Our culture says, oh, you just you need to you need some time to yourself. You need to rejuvenate. You need to. Now, on the seventh day, God rested. (laughs) We do need rest at times. But we need to serve. We need to be involved in ministry. That is God's purpose for us. When you are not fulfilling your purpose, you feel unfulfilled. And instead of thinking, oh, I'm just depressed, I must need medication because there must be a problem with my brain. No, it's not a problem with your brain, it's a problem with your heart. Your heart says, like, oh, I don't want to do that. Change the way you think. Change the way you think so that you can tie all this stuff together. How are you thinking about your life? Is your primary goal to honor God? Is living for you Christ? This is where you first need to change your thinking. Honor God first in every word you speak. Jesus says at one point, you will be judged for every idle word that you speak. Not going to heaven or hell based on your words. okay? But what he's saying is, take care to think about your speech. Are you complaining? Is a selfish attitude coming out of your mouth all the time? My mother-in-law was going to be watching our children when we went to Germany the first time. And we we were leaving in July, and I want to say it was May, something like that. She fell while holding one of our children and tripped over the other one. (laughs) Go figure, right? (laughs) That's what kids do. Um, Broke her foot. Now, she's got a little bit of the osteoporosis thing going on. Nothing major, I don't think. But for some reason, it took six or seven months for her, fo- her foot to heal. And this is someone who would go to BSF and she would come over to our house every week to come see the grandkids and help out and do some things. And okay, she, would go, she was busy. She would go to church. She sang in the choir. Right. She did all this stuff. Now she can't go anywhere. Can't drive. It was her right foot, I believe. I, I think, right? Can't even drive anywhere. She just had to sit at home. Uh, what am I going to do? You know what she learned? She learned that God wanted her just to rest and lean on Him and be more in the Word. Pray more. Trust more. She started talking to some other, calling some other people up and kind of talking to them on the phone and praying for them. Okay? There are times when, when we need to move our mind, our focus off of ourselves and our circumstance and onto God and what God wants for us. God wants you to be whole. Holy, first and foremost. Every circumstance. God wants you to be holy. Our ultimate example is Jesus. Those verses 3 through 8 we read in the beginning. It says that Jesus is, he is God. He deserves the glory and the honor and the worship, but it says he emptied himself. He laid aside his kingly glory. Just imagine that for a moment. The president comes into town without the secret service and the motorcade. Okay, if we could guarantee that there would be no assaults, right, just imagine he gets rid of all of that, okay, whoever the president may be. A lot of people in Seattle were whining when the uh, president of China, I think it was the president or prime minister of China or whatever, they came in, and they, like, blocked up I-5 for, like, miles and miles, and it, traffic was just a nightmare. And everyone's all upset about that because it's traffic, right? Um, but just imagine for a moment someone of that high importance coming down and hiding themselves, and, and you not really knowing who they are. You know, they didn't shave for a couple months, and, you know, didn't cut their hair, and put some different clothes on, and, and they kind of hid themselves a little bit. Jesus, in the ultimate act of obedience and humility, gets rid of that glory for a time. Comes to earth, not as a king, but as a servant, the son of a carpenter, Eventually, he voluntarily gives up his life. He is eternal. He doesn't have a true beginning. He has a beginning as a man, but not a true beginning. And yet, he gives himself up to die. The ultimate act of unselfishness. He does not deserve to die at all. The furthest thing from it. And yet he does it anyway. This is why we read in Ephesians 5, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because Christ gave up his life for the church. Husbands, when did you last give up your life for your wife? Except for football Sundays. See, I just got my wife to like football. So, when was the last time you gave up something that you were entitled to? What is the last thing, last time you gave up something you were entitled to for someone else? That is the ultimate act of unselfishness. Not just assuming you're entitled to it, but actually being entitled to it and giving it up. Philippians 2 5 says, Have this attitude which was in Christ. You need to have this attitude. Have this attitude which was in Christ. This is the command. You want to know the will of God for your life? Have this attitude. Stop asking about the will of God for your life. Focus on this attitude, and a lot of things in life will go a lot smoother. I can guarantee it. This is where it culminates. Back at the beginning in verse 4, look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Just start thinking about other people. As you change the way you think, start looking around at other people in your congregation, other people in your neighborhood. Look at those kids. I mean, look at these different people... How can you go out of your way to help someone else? Kids look at the older people. A lot of older people want to talk to you. they just don't know how to talk to you. You intimidate them, believe it or not. sometimes older people you intimidate the younger people. Believe it or not. I know you you really are a little old grandma, but sometimes people are intimidated by that. And it goes both ways. You have to reach across that and the more that you Hold back from that. Guess what? You're being selfish because you don't want to feel weird and awkward. (laughs) I don't want to feel that way. Okay? Get over it. Change the way you think. Have this attitude. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are called. We know that you're going to think about yourself. The issue is how much do you think about others? You need to start by changing the way you think put off the old dirty habit of selfishness, put on the habit of considering the needs and desires of others. What could you possibly need in this world that will benefit you in heaven? What could you possibly need? What could you possibly feel entitled to that will actually benefit you in heaven? Start thinking the other way around. How can you benefit someone else for heaven? How can you help them in a way that will Disciple them. It will help them grow. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Put off the dirty old habit of selfishness. Put on the habit of considering the needs and desires of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the example of Paul. We thank you for what he's shown us here in the book of Philippians about how we ought to put off this selfishness. How we ought to be considering others. How we ought to put on Christ and show the love of Christ to all people at all times. Or I pray for everyone in here that we would, this week, take steps towards putting off selfishness, to stop complaining, to start looking at our time as yours, to start looking at our finances as yours, start looking at everything as yours in a way, so we can use it in a way that honors you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.